Welcome, birders. This is Ed Pullen, your host on the Bird Banter Podcast, where birders talk birding. I remember when I was a younger birder, maybe in my late 30s, early 40s, the kids were young, uh, and I dreamt of going to Attu. Attu seemed like the, the most exotic, uh, incredible place for a birder to go. It was an adventure. There were birds there that really aren't available anywhere else in the ABA, and I just thought that would be the end-all, be-all birding trip. I've never made it. Uh, they used to go to Attu on a plane. We'd land on an old military airstrip and stay in some old military barracks and get put up there and have a great adventure. Uh, now you can't get there that way. The airstrip's been closed to mainstream uh, transportation, and and the barracks are no longer really serviceable. Uh, but you can still go on a boat. And my guest today, Christian Hagenlocker, went on the boat this spring. We're going to hear about that today. I'm pretty excited for you guys to hear about that. I think it's a great story. Uh, Christian was my first guest that wasn't a close friend. Uh, I did the first episode of the podcast alone. I had Ken Brown and then Bruce Labar, two of my close birding buddies, do the next two episodes with me. And Christian was my guest on episode four. So really, when I was just getting going with this podcast, and he was a terrific guest. He had just finished with the, uh, his uh, big year, the birding project uh, in 2016. He did a big year along with the, all the other big years that year and saw over 750 species in the year and just has a great story to tell. And he's writing a book about that. You'll get to read about that on Falcon Freeway, a birding book that's due out next month. Uh, make sure you check it out. You can find it on his on his website, The Birding Project, and I think it's slash the Falcon Freeway, but you can find it easily there. And there are still some uh, pre-order signed copies available. Go there now. Check it out. Buy your cool book. That'll be fun. Anyway, uh, Christian is my guest today, and he's going to tell us about his time on Attu, along with the other things that have happened since I last had him on a as a guest. I'm looking forward to you hearing about that. So help me welcome to the Bird Banner Podcast, episode number 29, Christian Hagenlocker. Welcome, Christian. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you, Ed? I'm doing really well. It's been a while since I talked to you last. I think maybe the last time we talked was when you were on the the, the podcast a little while ago. I think so. You're right. Yeah. It's well, great to be had, back. Yeah, it's good to be back. I've, I've been following on Facebook and a little bit on your website, so I know you've done a lot of stuff since then. Exciting to talk about. It should be really good. I'm looking uh, First of all, what, what's the status of your book? I know it's supposed to come out soon, isn't it? Yes, my book's going to be released in September, and right now okay. I'm, I'm on schedule. I'm working through the final edits, and I've received a lot of good feedback from a team of folks who've uh, acted as advanced readers. So I gave out copies of my book to them and had additional edits to complete, and they found some mistakes. They had some great suggestions for smoothing out the flow and uh, improving the storyline. And so that's what I've been working on pretty diligently for the last month and a half. And I'm well, excited to be putting it into a uh, final structure and publishing it in September. Terrific. Uh, I'll make sure that towards the end of the podcast, we talk about how people can, uh, how people can buy that from you. That'll be good. That sounds That'll great. Be good. Uh, you've also been doing a lot. You uh, have been guiding quite a bit. It looks like I saw that you uh, had a, led a trip right here in Washington recently. Yes, I I just finished up a week long tour for birding eco tours, a Western Washington trip, and so uh, we traveled all over Western Washington. We went on a pelagic trip with Westport Seabirds, which was yes, a Bruce told me about that. You killed it. We had a great time together. Yes. So we saw some good birds and found some owls, found some grouse around Western Washington, and just overall mm -hmm. had a great trip. 
Yeah. Where did you get those pictures of the mountain quail? Those were really good. Oh, thank you. Mountain quail are tough to photograph, let alone see out in the open. And I'm yeah. grateful for the assistance of the Washington birding community. I was able to learn about a, a lady's house over on the Olympic Peninsula who has mountain mm-hmm. quail coming into her bird feeders. Oh, oh, really cool. Really so she has that's great. She has seed out and was open to visitors, and so I lined that up and and we spent a morning over sitting on her deck and waiting for the quail to come in. And it took two tries, but we were successful and really enjoyed. That was a lifer bird uh, for one of my clients, and so it's a wonderful opportunity to share that with her. And just those are the best views I've had of that species myself. That's terrific. That's true. Yeah, I I. Got it as a county bird this year at over by a friend's house uh, in on Key Peninsula, but it was heard. I mean, I didn't see it; I just heard it singing. So, sure, but still, that's uh, that's they're hard to get in Washington. They, really they are. are good for you. Good for you. So that trip went well. It sounds like. Where else did you go? Well, we started uh, at the airport, and then we took a ferry from downtown Seattle over to Bremerton, and then birded our way down to Nisqually National Wildlife Refuge. And then okay. out to Westport, and the whole trip schedule kind of centered around that Westport Pelagic trip. Oh, so it's a Western Washington trip, really. Western Washington, yep. And oh, then not too nice. Following the Pelagic trip, we headed to Mount Rainier and spent a couple of days birding around Packwood. Oh, and, okay. And birding the the montane forest habitat for a variety of species, and then we uh-huh. went up to the Dungeness area and birded some of the the wildlife refuges around Dungeness Spit and nice. uh, all the different kind of Olympic Peninsula places for specialties up there. Very nice. How big was your group? We actually just had a single client. Oh, even better. Yeah. So <laughs> even better. You're, you're really mobile and can be flex, super flexible. Exactly. Nice. I adapted the itinerary that we had for a larger group uh, to fit her needs and to go after her target oh. birds. And so it was a really, a really special time. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, and I also wanted to take a second to talk. I know that you uh, are were one of the leaders at the uh, Audubon Hog Island uh, uh, camp this spring. Tell us, tell me about that. Sure thing. So Hog Island Audubon has been uh, really offering quality programs for a long time, and I was really pleased to return to Hog Island this year for my second year in a row as an instructor at the nice. Mountains to Sea Teen Birding Camp. So the okay. ABA offers birding camps for teenagers, but so does Hog Island through the National Audubon Society. And this is a special camp that we started last year that focuses on birding a variety of habitats in Maine, not just okay, not just the island habitat where we stay the whole week on the island. And so we're pretty mm-hmm. mobile. We start up in the mountains of Maine, up in the spruce fir forests near Borstone. Um, Borstone is also a property owned by the Audubon, the Maine Audubon. And right. we birded up there and then birded down in elevation all the way to the coast and then spent mm-hmm. some time on Hog Island and took a trip out to Eastern Egg Rock, which oh, was the first special. time that, that those teens saw puffins. And sure. it's just a wonderful opportunity of, of sharing my knowledge and also learning from the other instructors. Definitely mm-hmm. uh, some quality instructors there. And they've really done a great job putting together a program that, that meets the needs for teenagers that are interested in birds or maybe not so interested in birds. And this was their first experience. So it's definitely oh, great cool. to, to be a part so, of that. So there was a variety of, uh, of 
I want to say students or campers. I'm not sure what I should call them, but kids yeah, there. Yeah, a variety uh, of campers. So some, some of them were, you know, avid birders. This was like a lifetime experience and others were, you know, maybe not so much. Correct. Others had never really used binoculars before. Oh my. Wow. So it was, <laughs> it was really neat um, to, to kind of work with a variety of skill levels and interest levels and connect with, with them on, uh, on different levels of what they were interested in and how they, how they really responded to the instruction, both on identifying birds, on conservation. We had some journaling modules where a wildlife artist taught uh, sketching, field sketching. Oh, wow. And yeah, so that's great. So the kids were really into that. It was neat to see them exploring the tide pools along the main coast and sketching all the different organisms that they were finding. And uh, it was just super cool to see them so excited to be in nature and really embrace what what we were sharing with them. Yeah. Are these young teens or older teens or a variety? Uh, I believe maybe 14 to 17. I think most of them were probably 15 or 16. Okay. So yeah, not too big a spread, but still that's a, that's a great age to have an experience like that. It could change their lives. I mean, definitely. And a lot of the the students or campers that have been at hog Island have gone on to do other birding programs and kind of risen through the ranks of American ornithology to attend Cornell, to go on and lead trips for birding tour companies. It has a very Mm -hmm. rich history of, of, producing quality ornithologists and people that really benefit the community. And a birding superstars. That's great. It's yeah. uh, really, really good that there are programs. There are quite a few programs around the country that the ABA has, I know. And uh, I think National Audubon too. So that's, that's just one of them. I, I grew up in Maine. So I was curious, Hog Island, I looked it up today to see where it was. I somehow I thought it was way down East, but it's not a South, Southern Maine, really Southern Maine coast. Yeah. Just North of Portland. Yeah, yeah, near Easter, Easter Egg Rock. I mean, very mm-hmm. near there. So, yeah, uh, place a lot of birders have been to. So, will sound familiar. Cool. Uh, so, you are guiding through this company. Tell me about the company you're working with. Is that a, a, a place you work for fairly routinely, or is this a one off thing? Well, I've kind of been courting different birding companies as I mm-hmm. have now uh, left the full time profession of teaching. And oh, okay. And so I made that transition in January and turned my turned my home base from being um, mountain based down in kind of central Colorado to mm-hmm. Denver area and now Seattle area. And so I commute between okay. Denver and Seattle, and I'm working okay. as a freelance guide. So I I led this trip for birding eco tours. I've spoken with other larger international birding companies about the opportunity to lead trips with them in the future. But right. primarily, I've been leading trips for Colorado Birding Adventures, which is based in Longmont, Colorado. Uh-huh. And so I've been uh, hired to take trips out of out of the Denver area all over the state and show people the specialty birds that Colorado has to offer. It, it's certainly, you know, you've got the chickens and the and the rosy finches and, and a lot of grassland birds. I mean, yes. those are what I think, what I think of as the specialties. I'm not sure that, that that's what you mostly go for. Are exactly. There other- those sound like the, when I made my trip to Colorado, those were the things I chased. So, right. A lot of people are, are traveling to Colorado for the first time. And so we spend a time kind of getting acclimated in the, in the foothills of the Rocky mountains, looking at birds like Stellar's Jay and mountain chickadee, Western tanager, Pacific sure. or um, Cordier and flycatcher. 
Mm-hmm. I almost said Pacific Slope because I, I've been I here in Washington almost, for the last almost slipped there, yeah. Week. Yep. <laughs> there. And then we we'd spend a day at Pawnee National Grasslands seeing breeding mountain plovers and chestnut collared and accounts long spurs, burrowing owls, mm-hmm. ferruginous hawks, golden eagles, lots of awesome prairie birds out there. And then <laughs> that sounds pretty awesome. Yeah, and then move up into um, kind of the higher elevation mountains where we see uh, breeding rosy finches. Those are brown capped, the only species that are there during the summer. And then finding white-tailed ptarmigan and American three-toed woodpecker, evening grosbeak, some of the higher altitude pine grosbeak specialty birds that often people have never seen before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are great, great uh, birds to find on a trip like that. Sounds like you've got a, a good thing going there. I'm sure you're getting to be almost a, a local, if newly local, or in the last few years local. That's your kind of home base now, so that's pretty cool. Yes, it's been awesome to to learn the birds of Colorado and now share them with others and, and travel around the state. So I've been really fortunate to have a, a high volume of clients this summer. We've been lucky to keep a full schedule and have many folks hear about us through word of mouth and come out and enjoy a, a quality birding experience around Colorado. So if you're interested, you can look us up online at coloradobirdingadventures.com. Very cool. Very cool. So you, you went to Attu. I remember hearing that you were you had that planned and you were hoping to do a documentary there. I'm not sure if that came to fruition, but you certainly made the trip. Uh, tell me about all of that. Attu was, was just phenomenal. It was really neat. We we flew up to Attu and started our trip in late May and mm-hmm. started on the island of Adak. And right. that's where you fly in via Alaska Airlines and where we meet our boat. And mm-hmm. unlike the big year movie, which portrays going to Attu by airplane, that's no longer right. a, yeah, a sustainable they, I know they, option. You, you, you can't do that anymore. Yeah. Right. Unless you have a lot of money. If you're willing to charter a plane, it's possible to do that. I know NBC. Wow. Uh, flew out there last fall and took the author Mark Amesic out Ooh. there, and he was writing a, a book called "A Storm on Our Shores," which is a historical narrative about a Japanese soldier and an American soldier that meet on this island, and okay. kind of follows how their stories are intertwined. So that's a great book and a wonderful um, opportunity to share Atu with other people, kind of through the historical context. Right. And so but he flew. He flew that- out there chartered a plane by NBC's checkbook. And so they were able to, to land there. For most ordinary humans, that's not going to happen. Uh, and even with that, to live there would be problematic. Right, exactly. I mean, th- I don't think that the old Coast Guard bunkers are really available anymore, are they? No, they're they're definitely not habitable. And uh, I'm pretty sure there's asbestos and lots of yeah. bad stuff out o- there. Others- so other reasons not to go. So tell, right. first, tell me about the boat. Uh, that For me, the reason I have not jumped to this, the thought of being on a boat for like two weeks is just ooh, a little, <laughs> I don't know if I, I'm up for that. Tell me what, sure. what the boat's like and how that experience went. And then we'll talk about the island of the birding. Well, the boat's fantastic. It's a, a 72 foot boat that's custom built for charter cruises around Alaska. So it's, it's reminiscent of a fishing boat that's been converted to have livable spaces and uh, be a safe environment to to move around the vessel, and okay. uh, so it's it's not as giant as you would think it would be, but it's large enough. It has electronic stabilization fins that they deploy when the seas get rough, okay. and so that minimizes the the movement. But it's still it's still 
not a not an easy trip um, mm-hmm. if if the seas aren't cooperative and we we lucked out so the ocean was very great um, the weather was calm and we actually made awesome time uh, headed out to Atu and so it, it was really just three days um, of being out there on the ocean and route to Atu it took about 72 hours maybe to get from okay. Adak out to Atu and it's just like a really long pelagic trip it's really cool okay so so, can, so during the day you get a lot of auklets i'm sure and and sure waters and all of the pelagic birds out there yes yeah? plenty of seabirds with the possibility we had multiple short-tailed albatrosses which is a mm-hmm. a difficult bird to see outside of that kind of gulf of alaska region right right and so great Great seabirding on the way out. And then we get to Atu and we anchor in the harbor of Massacre Bay, which is okay. protected is that a pretty from the waves. Protected, okay, so yes. once you're in the harbor, you know, it's not like you're bouncing all over the place the whole time. Correct. And so once oh, that, you're that's once you're there, it's not it doesn't feel like you're on a boat. You're just okay. you're living on the boat, eating, sleeping, but you're in the harbor, the engine is off. There's minimal rocking, and so you can eat dinner at a table and have a glass of wine, and very nice. It's not not so, a problem. And so, you used a, an infl- uh, some sort of zodiac to get on and off the island, did you? Or? Exactly. Yep. So we had a an inflatable boat that we could take uh, between the boat and the beach, and that we'd make a couple trips to get all the birders onto the beach and assemble there, and then walk the beaches, walk the the marshes, walk the mountains, and and look for birds. Mm-hmm. So no longer have bicycles there. You're pretty much walking. We actually brought bicycles with us. Oh, you and did? So, oh, okay. Yeah. So we actually packed bicycles onto the boat and then spent some time putting them together and kind of doing the the maintenance of the bikes to be sure tires were inflated right. and brakes and sure. seats were adjusted. And uh, so we actually had bicycles at our disposal to ride. However, the, the trails and road system that have, you know, it's seen better days. So it was... It was definitely Mo- mountain biking. Most, mostly walking. Mostly walking. Yep. But okay. But Still, bicycles were, were available. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you could use them. Okay. If you could survive uh, biking, yes. Yeah. Okay. So tell me about the birding experience. What, what sort of things did you see and what was a typical day like? Well, a typical day was waking up uh, in the morning, eating breakfast on the boat, getting packed up. And then as soon as everyone was ready, we would load up the Zodiac and land on the beach. And our guides had determined what areas we would bird each day. And so some days we were birding the beaches. Some days we were birding Henderson Marsh or Contractors Marsh, some of the inland freshwater lakes and ponds that uh, attract different birds like snipes and shorebirds and offer enough cover for migrant passerines. And, And so we'd land on the beach and then figure out where we were going for the day and then we would walk or bike and walk and walk and walk and try and cover every, you know, as much habitat as we could of those sure. areas in order to find whatever birds ended up being there. So you pretty and much stayed as one one large group the whole time? Yes. There were some days that I split off from the group and other people split off and we kind of spread out to cover more ground. That was advantageous sometimes and, and not to our advantage other times. Um, because sure. you could, you might see something that nobody else would see, which you is could also miss something everybody else saw. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Yeah. So it, high risk, high reward. Sure. 
So what were the what were the highlight birds of your trip? Would you say I I saw the picture of the snowy owl on your uh, the snowy was, owl. Oh yep. my goodness! Those were wow. those were breeding there, and so that was a daily bird for us. Um, and so we'd often see snowy owls. But some of the highlight birds, the the rarest bird we saw was probably a great knot. Yes, which is a shorebird, an Asian shorebird, and a code four based on the right. ABA code system. Okay. Um, we also had a stellar sea eagle. Ooh, that's fun. Which is just an incredible raptor. Uh, yeah. And we spotted that, uh, I think, on May 26th. And then we saw it again on May 28th. And the same species had been seen uh, a week or two earlier on Bull Deer Island by, okay. by a gentleman out there. And he reported that to eBird. So this could have been that bird that was working its way back to continental Russia. Yes. And we saw another, you know, a great handful of uh, awesome Asian shorebirds, including lesser sand plovers, long-toed stint, common snipe, taric sandpiper, common sandpiper, common greenshank. Just so it was a really good shorebird year. We had a lot of shorebirds, Mm -hmm. but we didn't see very many passerines. So in years past... Probably the weather was too nice. Yep. Probably the weather. The shorebirds can still fly on calm days and they don't really require wind assistance as much to to get over there. But birds like Siberian ruby throat and blue throat, those birds still showed up and we were able to find those. But common birds on Attu, such as brambling or rustic buntings, things that we'd seen dozens of in past years, were absent. This was your first trip to Attu or had you been there before? I went there during my big year in 2016, so oh, this was that's... my second trip. Oh, okay. I I didn't realize you did. Okay, yeah. cool, cool. So you're a a, a regular veteran of that too by now. I don't know about that. I never thought I'd have the opportunity to go back, but uh, that ended up happening, and so I really focused on how could I make the most of it. I'd seen, I'd been there before, I'd experienced the place. And so really my motivation this time was trying to figure out how can I share Atu with others that might not have the chance to go in the future. And so I ended up doing a lot of uh, recording, a lot of video while Mm -hmm. I was out there in hopes of putting together some sort of documentary to share with the greater birding public. Uh And so I, I filmed as much as I could, as often as the weather allowed. Um, There were times that, you know, it, it just wasn't possible or due to, uh, constraints or rules from the National Wildlife Refuge. I wasn't able to film for commercial purposes in certain locations. So I had to okay. to limit what I was doing to certain areas of the island. And uh, I'm hoping to kind of have a more organized plan of attack in the event that I go back and really get some, you know, not B-roll footage. I was able to get a lot of footage, but it's not going to be the, the top shelf quality um, footage. So I'll put something together in the future, but we'll see. It'll be fun. It, it will be a fun project. So it's, I haven't even looked at all of my footage. I haven't edited all of my pictures yet. I, I returned from Atu and really hit the ground running on, on my next thing. Sounds like you've been really busy. I really have. Busy. What, uh, what's next for you? What do you, I mean, you're looking for guiding gigs, obviously, sure. maybe, a maybe a, uh, a position with one of the major companies or, or, a. a something that takes you to other places than Washington and Colorado. Uh, it sounds like, uh, have you had m- much experience guiding in other areas? I know you've obviously birdie. I 
followed your big year. You've birded a lot of areas, that's for sure. I've birded a lot of places and simply birding somewhere doesn't make you an expert. There's local knowledge that can be acquired everywhere, but I've spent a, a lot of time all over the continent and learned kind of the, the lay of the land. And I'm hoping to accompany more experienced guides through different companies and learn about different areas. I have a lot of experience with Alaska. So that's really what I bring to the table is uh, multiple trips to Alaska, all over Alaska under my belt. And I'm hoping to bring my expertise and experience from Alaska to these different guiding companies and create tours that I can help lead and share Alaska with people. That sounds terrific. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about the process of writing a book. I know sure. a lot of people think maybe I'd like to write a book. Yeah, yeah I thought that. I don't have no idea to write about, but uh, a lot of people have thought about that. Uh, what? How did you go about that? You you, uh, you have a book that's going to be published here momentarily almost. Are you using Amazon or what platform and how did you go about that? Well, I, I went about writing my book while I was in the field on my big year. And the, uh -huh. the quality of what I wrote varied um, from times when I was using Siri in the car to record, you know, voice texting, essentially, in, right. uh, in various voice memos and note documents of kind of writing what I was thinking, what I was feeling, what I was seeing. And so that gave me a lot of content. And then the editing process was enormous of going through those voice memos going through what I'd written, things that I'd published as blog posts versus stories that I tried to save for my book that aren't published on the Birding Project blog. Right. And going through all of that, that material and really editing it down to a coherent story. And it makes sense to me because I lived it, but it's incredibly difficult to take experiences that happened daily for 366 days and assimilate all of that into a coherent storyline that makes sense to a reader that wasn't there and didn't live it. Yeah. And especially with so much travel, you know, going to bed in Alaska and then waking up in Arizona and seeing a couple birds and then taking a red eye to Seattle and then picking up a car and driving across the country to Maine. It's, it's kind of whiplash for the reader. Um, yes as far as trying to follow, wait, how did he get here? And I, I didn't do the best job in explaining that because it made sense to me that, oh, I did this. But I've realized that in writing a book, I'm needing to build those transitions and clarify to the reader what I did and how I did it. And why the heck you did it. I mean, and why, why I did it. Why are you going yes. to Maine now? Yeah. Right. What's so the, there's a, why drive to Maine? <laughs> right. So there's a lot of a lot of uh, small things that either I'd overlooked or not executed properly in, in writing my first drafts. And so I've been editing that and really I've cut a lot of stories out, things that I've realized aren't essential information for people to, you know, realize about the time I got stuck or, uh, you know, I can't, it's really difficult to, yeah. to succinctly put everything that happened in my year into one book. I've heard from uh, other people who've written written books that uh, having an editor, you know, say, cut that, do this. It's like, well, and you're kind of, you know, you have people helping you, but not a right. I'm did, my did editor. You yeah, yeah. When you when you're your own editor, it's got to be even harder to make those tough decisions about what to put in, what to leave out. If I could do it again, I would. I'd do that differently, but it's it's my first book, so it won't be hey. perfect. Um, and, but I've learned a lot, and it's probably one of the harder things I've done. I don't know if it's harder than doing a big year, but it's certainly uh, harder than college. 
Yes. Oh, I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. That's exciting. I'm, I can't wait to get it. I've, I've got one on order, so it'll be coming. <laughs> it'll be coming. Your signed copy yes. will, will be shipped out uh, right after I get them. So I'm hoping that the ebook should be released on September 12th. And then as soon as the printer sends me the hard copies, I'll send them and ship them out. That's exciting. Good for you. Good for you. Now you're. I, I saw that you're in Washington right now, aren't you? I am, yes. Yeah. I, I don't know if you heard, but uh, there's, there's a huge flock of uh, redneck phalarope uh, in the in the channel between Gig Harbor and and the and Tacoma. So oh, right neat. after that's uh, awesome. Right. Yeah. Heather Balish had 510, I think, yesterday from Titlow. Uh, Holy so moly. That's, well, that's I, where I'm I scoped from Point Defiance a couple of days ago before I dropped my client off at the airport. And, uh-huh. and we had we had maybe 35 or 40 redneck phalaropes. So yes. I don't know if the numbers went up or maybe I, I maybe I was looking the other direction. It's hard to say, but uh, yeah. I, I that'll be a, a a county bird for me for the year. So oh, I'm that's neat. There. I'm I'm headed, headed there when we finish. So good luck. That's, uh, that's good. Yeah, I think the Jaegers are in too. So did you did you get those the other day? I got those out over the ocean, but I didn't get them in Puget Sound. Yeah. Peter Peter Wimberger had them last night at uh, at the point, so uh, hopefully they'll be there this time too. So that's great. I've got a fun afternoon of birding ahead of me. Oh, that's great! I have a fun afternoon of editing, so I'd much rather <laughs> be birding. But I've had my playtime, and now it's time to get back to work and and knock the rest of this project out. Well, good luck. Good luck with that. I hope you uh, are very successful and and have the. Uh, Get every break you need to make this book a big success. Oh, yeah. thanks. I appreciate it. I think you've got all you've been doing all the right stuff. It sounds like so. That's very exciting. Uh, I'm going to kind of wrap up with first of all, what's going on with the birding project? Is there anything other than this book? Is there anything uh, continuing with that, or is that sort of a winding down thing? You know, that's that's been a winding down thing, but I'm hoping that after this book is finished, since that's that's really taken a lot of my time and energy since um, since my big year ended everything all the spare time that I've had I've put into doing this book so once right. this project is open or is is wrapped up I'll be able to really evaluate the birding project as a whole and take a look at kind of the plan because my plan for the birding project obviously only extended through the big year and right. I've I've kept it going as a as a outreach arm of, you know, the work that I've been doing as as a teacher and networking within the birding community, giving talks and presentations. So that work will continue definitely as, as my speaking tour kind of kicks off, I'll be giving several uh, talks here. I'll be giving a keynote address at the Washington Ornithological Society meeting this fall in October. Oh, very nice. And so I'll... I'll be continuing to, to do some speaking and education, but as far as the the core goals of the birding project and having the blog be updated and generating content that uh, people can really engage with and learn from, I hope to take a look at that and, and make it something that extends beyond my free time and my availability to be something that really can be contributed to by the birding community. And so I'm hoping to have some guest writers and people that want to share their ideas about birds and birding. And I have hundreds of interviews collected from my big year. And so that's probably one of the next things that I'm looking at doing is how can I share that? How can I take the birding wisdom that 
was shared with me on on my adventure and share that with other people that could benefit from the the things that those people imparted. So some of that's in my book, but my book is more my story rather than the collective stories of all these other birders that I interviewed. And so I'm really looking forward to to sharing those uh, in the future in a certain way. And I'm guessing it'll be closely connected to the birding project. That's exciting. I'm looking forward to that too, Christian. Good for you. Uh, I want to wrap up. Are there any ways uh, people can reach out to you? You have, uh, is the, the birding project website, the best place to find your book or how would that work out? Yes. My books for sale through the birding project website. I think I have like 20 or 30 more available on pre-order. So those are signed copies that will be shipped directly to you. And so you can order yours on the birdingproject.com slash Falcon freeway. You can Google Falcon freeway and that birding project uh, bookstore link will pop up. And so you can enter your credit card information or pay via PayPal, I think, and mm-hmm. receive your book that way. Um, and then in September, it'll be available hopefully through Amazon and all of the other online book platforms. That's still a couple weeks away from being solidified, but uh, you could buy that online. And then also I'll be giving talks and selling books at various venues around the country. So if you need a speaker for a birding festival or a keynote speaker for an Audubon meeting, you can email me at thebirdingproject at gmail.com and we can talk about dates and pricing and my availability. And I'd love to come share my adventures with you and sell books there. That sounds terrific, Christian. Thanks so much. And uh, people can also follow you on Facebook, yes? Yes, so you can follow me on Facebook on the Birding Project website or my personal page. I post a lot of birding content there. On Instagram, The Birding Project. On Instagram, I'm on Twitter, although I don't use Twitter as much. And uh, lots of places to see my photography and follow my stories. That's great. Well, thanks so much for being my guest today on the Bird Banner Podcast. I really appreciate it. And uh, I'll look forward to hearing from you soon again. Take care. My pleasure. Thank you, Ed. Bye-bye. So that's a wrap on the episode number 29 of the Bird Banner Podcast with Christian Hagenlocker. Thanks for listening. Be sure to leave comments, reviews on the iTunes store, other platforms. That's really helpful to me. And until next time, good birding. Good day.